Kia ora, I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. Today on The Detail... They're afraid, they're afraid to be seen as being afraid. The first day they'll get the bash, and the second day they'll be asked to join a gang. Being locked up for up to 19 hours a day. Now these are cells where you're there for that time, you, you do your ablutions with your other cellmate. Frequently get manipulated and assaulted. It's certainly not a pleasant existence. Prisoners on remand. There are around 4,000 of them and that number's climbing. It's being called a crisis. A waiting room for people in the most dangerous part of prison. A disgusting, inhumane existence. They are people who are either awaiting a trial or awaiting sentence or awaiting their next court case, but for some reason the court doesn't trust them being out in the community while they're waiting for that next court appearance. Chester Borrows chairs Te Uepu Hapai Itiora, formerly the Safe and Effective Justice Advisory Group. He's a former policeman and national government minister for courts. He's travelled the country talking to offenders, families and victims about the entire justice system, what needs to change and how to change it. Raban prisoners are don't mix with sentenced prisoners. They're together with other remand prisoners. And you can imagine then that because they aren't sentenced, the state doesn't have a mandate to sort of treat them in a way like they are sentenced. So they're, they're on ice on in safekeeping as opposed to being subject to sentences and being made to do things. So there are obvious limits on their movements, but there are also limits on their activities, and that's one of the big issues because they can't access any programs. Is remand prison, is it within the whole prison itself? For example, uh, does Mount Eden have a remand section? There's a remand prison at Mount Eden, so everyone's on remand, but most prisons around the country have separate remand wings that are separate from sentenced prisoners. They have to share rooms? With other prisoners? They frequently do, and that that can obviously be an issue. When I said safekeeping earlier, it's a cliche. It's uh, mm. keeping them safe from committing further offences against the public, but it doesn't stop. I'm not saying the place is safe by any means. No, and that's the thing, because in my research on this, quite recently, Chief Justice Dame Helen Winkelman was on Nine to Noon calling the remand population unacceptable. unacceptable. Uh, those on remand do not have access. They're, often they're not even convicted. They're actually uh, waiting trial. Some are just waiting sentence. They don't have access to rehabilitation. So they can often be sentenced and then released immediately. And that should be of great concern to us as a society because what are we putting them in there for? And... A couple of years ago, Sir Kim Workman, the justice reform advocate, he was even more graphic in his description. He said anyone who goes into a remand prison knows that the first day they get the bash. And the second day they'll be asked to join a gang. And and so we're starting. We're actually, the government has created the problem, the way we remind a whole lot of people into custody who shouldn't be in custody and then causes those uh, offenders to congregate together in remand prisons. Those are the reports that we have all the time and they seem to be the facts and it's, that's a really scary situation. Um, but we see a number of people who go into prison on remand 
they're afraid they're afraid to be seen as being afraid and so they sort of try and maintain some sort of staunchness but they see a safety of belonging to a gang or to align themselves with people who are more violent for, for them they frequently get um, manipulated and assaulted and it's it's certainly not a pleasant existence it was actually Emily Rakati from People Against Prisons, Aotearoa. I think she called it a crisis. I think it is a crisis. I mean, what we've got at the moment is we've got uh, about 40% of our prison population on remand, so they're not sentenced. They're innocent until proven guilty under our system, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then that's going to go to over 50%. Even corrections say that. The latest annual Justice Ministry report forecasts that by 2029, the overall prison population will blow out to 11,400 and more than half will be remand prisoners. That means that within 10 years, more than 6,000 people will be locked up but still awaiting trial. And we've got a real problem with that because people are spending longer and longer on remand and, and it's not uncommon for the parole board to see people who have done 300 days on remand or or even more than that, um, one recently 547 days on remand. That's right, 547 days on remand. That's 18 months in prison waiting to be sentenced. You've got to wonder about the justice in that. Then they will get sentenced, and all that time they're spent on remand will be deducted from their sentence, and they may well be turned out on the street because of the time they've already served, so with no rehabilitation whatsoever. And you're putting an untreated offender, violence offender, drug offender, sex offender, whatever, back on the street. And you've done nothing with that person for the length of time they've been there. Someone described it as a waiting room. They're not entitled to the same access to treatment or, I suppose, rehabilitation that a sentenced prisoner is entitled to. No, they're not. And frequently they don't want it because... It means that they've admitted that they need some help with something. Mm. And if they're maintaining a not guilty plea, then they don't want to make that concession. But there are plenty of people sitting on remand who are there for months who have already pleaded guilty and accepted responsibility and could be getting on and doing programs and they can't access them. That is wrong. And in your work, Chester, you know, you travelled around the country talking to people about various aspects of the justice uh, system and the processes. But during that time, particularly on this issue of remand, what did people tell you? Well, firstly, we had horrific stories either firsthand from people who have been on remand or from their families, and they weren't arguing that their child or friend or partner was pure as a driven snow. They were just talking about the fairness of the system. And we had stories of young people going into prison essentially um, on remand for driving-related things or things that on the face of it weren't that serious, albeit the judge had got frustrated with them, the police objected to bail, and so they'd gone to prison, been double bunked with the gang member, and come out with a gang affiliation and a facial tattoo, obviously derailing their prospects for the foreseeable future. Then there's stories of assaults and stories of manipulation, which shouldn't be going on in a state institution designed to keep people safe. So why? Why are there so many people going into prison on remand? Is there no alternative? 
Uh, well, yes, there's an obvious alternative, and that is to have people on bail. Uh, the problem is that for various reasons, we've changed our laws to make it harder to get bail. We've changed the onus of proof to mean that the accused now has to prove that they're safe rather than that the prosecuting authority has to prove that they're unsafe to be allowed on bail, and that's a really high threshold. And then the other thing that's been a problem is that uh, our court cases are really dragging out, and that impacts on remand as well. Dragging out to the point where in some provincial courts you have to wait a year, even longer, for a trial. Get this, some defendants in Queenstown are pleading guilty because they don't want to play a two-year waiting game just to see their day in court. The $54 million cash injection into the courts over four years is expected to cut wait times for criminal and family cases. If you're wanting a trial in the district court, uh, you're waiting well over a year. Even you know, just waiting to enter a plea and, and the sentencing, you know, you can wait eight and nine, ten months. And the backlog is because why? Is it, is it a resources issue? Yes, it's a resources issue. We tried to fix it a few years ago with the Criminal Procedure Act, but largely the players within the court system decided they didn't want to be part of that uh, because they needed to make concessions. For instance, things like the right not to disclose a defence, basically keep their cards close to their chest until the trial. So a case review situation means that... Um, Parties were encouraged to say what their defence is going to be to narrow down the arguments before the court and so speed up trials and not clog up the system. But it's not in the best interest of defence counsel often to actually have a quick trial. They'd rather stretch it out a little bit. And the unfortunate thing for clients then is that they're spending that time in custody. And then the other problem is that as your remand population grows, you're able to offer less and less services to those people. If we only had 10% of our prison population on remand, for instance, then corrections might be able to offer a lot more in terms of rehabilitation or at least some sort of programs to help people. Mm, Because in your report I'm reading here, people have very little access to paid employment, to psychological counselling, to rehabilitative programs, education, job training. And you go on to say all of this stuff we know contributes to rehabilitation that helps people live normal lives despite what the prison system does to them is almost completely unavailable to people who are being held on remand. And you can you can well have uh, situations where some very light touch programs are offered around education, but none of them are very intensive. For instance, the Howard League is doing some really good work around teaching people to read. Well, you know, that's open to people who are on remand as well as sentenced prisoners. That's one thing. But I've spoken to people in prison who are in desperate need for counselling because of family trauma. They get nothing if they're not sentenced prisoners. And even then, it's only dished out very sparingly. So you can imagine that you could have someone in prison for something that's very serious that might have involved the death of a loved one might involve the death of the child. They may not have any responsibility for that. They may be in for prison for something completely different, but they can't even access trauma counselling and they can't access the sort of grief counselling that you would expect someone to be able to get that a a caring and um, civilised society would offer people who are in prison. Is there anywhere in the country that this is being addressed and it's working? Within the prison system, no, although some prisons do it better than others. But 
you still end up in situations where uh, there is a lack of resources. You've got a very high prison population. You've got a very high remand prison population and rules that say that some things are going to be offered to those on remand and some things aren't. So it, it's not humane and it's not civilised um, to have people in prison, as I've described, who are in desperate need of some some um, uh, even emotional help, let alone um, psychological or psychiatric help, and it's withheld from them. The Chief Ombudsman has found that restrictions on access to toilets and drinking water at Northland's Nafar prison are unacceptable and amount to degrading treatment. Judge Peter Bosch's inspection team went unannounced to Nafar prison in February last year. He said of the 15 reports he'd done on prisons, this one was the most critical. This was a prison that was built for 350 uh, prisoners. It has presently 650. What's happening in this prison, which I'd hoped would be a bit of a beacon for Māori tikanga enhancement and engagement, instead of that, we've got double bunking in virtually all cells and some remand prisoners, uh, of which there are 37% of all prisoners, being locked up for up to 19 hours a day. And these are cells where you're there for that time with another cellmate, so you're eating with them, I guess you're using the toilet while they're in there, everything. It's a cliche in New Zealand to refer to prisons as holiday camps, and it's just absolutely wrong. The conditions in prisons are obviously pretty harsh. In some of our older prisons, they're absolutely disgusting. And his comments around... 37%. 37%. I mean, that's that's lower than the average, but it's certainly creeping up there. What do you think needs to happen with remand? Well, firstly, um, people should only be remanded into custody who need to be there, and we disagree with the reverse onus that sees that people having to prove that they're not a risk, rather than actually having been shown that they are by the authorities that are putting them because it's he who asserts must prove as a tenant of our justice system. The next thing is people who are on remand should only be there for a shorter period of time and they should be able to access the the needs and helps that um, they require and the programs that they can attend or, or, you know, can attend or are willing to attend so that when they get released, they're in the best possible place to live a crime-free lifestyle. So, If you've got someone who's been remanded in prison, they've already pleaded guilty and taken responsibility to their offending and they're only awaiting sentence and they can't get sentenced because some cock up in the court system, they shouldn't be withheld from getting those rehabilitative and therapeutic programs that they're in need of. If they're on remand and they're grieving and depressed because of the situation that they are in, some of which is not of their own making, then they should be able to get some assistance with that. But are you saying that a lot of them just shouldn't be in custody? I think there, are, there probably are a lot of people in prison who shouldn't be in custody, but um, for one reason or another, they find themselves there. For instance, there are a lot of people in prison who can't get out just because they haven't got an address. We haven't taken that very seriously at all in the past. So, yes, there are people in prison there who shouldn't be there. And I'm not saying that that applies to everybody because that'll be the catch cry of those listening to what I say. But we could do far better in 
supplying accommodation to people in the community who need, for one reason or another, some support at that time. Okay, that, but is it about changing the rules, though? Is it a case of there are people who are on remand in prison who just shouldn't be there because what they're accused of doing doesn't really match up with the situation that they're in? Yes, there there are certainly people there in, in prison for those reasons, but they're in prison because there's nowhere else to put them. Do you look at models overseas and say that's how we should be doing it? Certainly do. And if you look at the way that other countries are doing it, even even countries that we align ourselves with, um, they have much, much lower prison populations. And you've got to ask the question why, when we would consider New Zealand a better place to live and a safer place to live and a more civilised place to live. If you look at some of the Nordic countries, their prison population is really, really low. If you look at the Netherlands, their prison population is so low they're taking prisoners from other countries because they're just not locking up people at the same rates. And in some countries what they've done is that they have just decided that they're not going to prosecute uh, certain low-level offences. Low-level disorder offences, low-level thefts, dishonesty stuff, low-level drug offending, they've decided they're not going to prosecute that anymore and so their prison population is driven down because that doesn't have a collateral impact further down the track. You know, that's something that we should be looking at, let alone the style of prisons we have. You know, there are there are places, for instance, where people go to prison over the weekends because they only tend to get in trouble on the weekends. So if you bring them into custody on a Friday night and you let them out on a Sunday afternoon so they can maintain their employment, their family relationships and all those pro-social things they've got going on in their lives that prevent them from offending then maybe that's a better system than than locking them up. The advisory group's final report on transforming the criminal justice system, called Turuki Turuki Move Together, recommends a lot more money is invested in rehabilitation programmes for all prisoners, including those on remand. And it calls for gradual replacement of most prisons with community-based habilitation centres. They're pretty much the same as rehabilitation centres, but recognise the fact that these are the first chance for some people in learning life skills. Habilitation centres are places where um, people uh, go and live, receive therapy, programmes, treatments, those sorts of things that they need, but they're not prisons. But New Zealanders are in love with prison and punishment. And and then we, we do things like we build massive prisons because it's easier to get a resource management to build a 1,000-bed a prison than it would be to get a resource management consent to build 20, 50-bed prisons or habilitation centres. And it's that sort of expedient approach to what is a really complex issue that gets us into the situation we're in now. And these habilitation centres, is this an idea or are they out there right now? They certainly don't exist formally in New Zealand. They exist in other countries um, and they were suggested well over 30 years ago in reports that were considered by the government, but then the politics of them got too hot. As we've said, you know, there are plenty of people in prison who need to have their um, activities confined or restricted for the good of the public or for their own good, but they don't necessarily need to be locked up in a concrete and stainless steel cage with someone who they don't know, let alone don't like, or are absolutely scared stiff of. 
They don't need to be stood over by gang members. They don't need to be have treatment withheld because of resource issues and those sorts of things. If if you think of a habilitation unit as something that might be somewhere between 20 and 50 beds in a local community that's part of the community where people uh, go out to work or work is brought into them, where they have social activities and, and reduces the stigma, then actually we're looking at something that looks a hell of a lot more humane than locking someone up in a secure unit with people the public are scared of and just doesn't want to um, see or know or own. If you had your way, what would be the first thing that you think needs to happen to bring about change? Well, there are three things that need to happen, and um, they need to happen pretty much at the same time. We need to we need to somehow get a cross-party accord, uh, as difficult as that seems. We're not going to achieve that as long as politicians are in love with pushing law and order hot-button issues every election in order to get votes, and everyone across the board has done it tough on the crims, the gangs and the extremists and not being tough on crime and crims. We do want to see it tough on crime, on crims, on gangs and extremists. Forms that are about getting at crims, gangs. So, who do you want it to be tough on? Is it crims, gangs and extremists? We need to stop government agencies thinking within their silos and recognise that every government agency such as health and welfare, um, the economic agencies and all those have should have a criminal justice focus because all their failures end up in the criminal justice system. You know, one of the big problems we had was to get mental health around the table when we were doing our work. Education isn't interested, and yet those, what we know is the highest stats we have in prison are people who are undereducated and failures of our education system and people with um, mental health and head trauma histories. And yet we just can't get them around the table and that's a terrible situation to be in. And crucially, Chester Borrow says, is Māori must be part of the leadership in transformation. As far as recognising the need for Māori to be involved in every area of the social sector, and many of us do, there are a lot of people out there who think that Māori are getting some easy run and it just isn't the case. The fact is that contemporary colonisation exists continues to exist and there are new mechanisms thought for doing it every day and until we recognise that in terms of our social makeup, we're not clean and green and 100% pure like we like to think we are in the environment and it doesn't apply in this situation, we need to do something desperately about that That's it for today, I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile phone every weekday from any podcast platform. If you're using Apple, give us a rating so other people can find us too. This episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Alexia Russell. Thanks to Chester Borrows. Mā te wā.